walks were not like that for me and Sunny. I was always on alert, always watching, but I lived alone in an apartment and I didn't have a fenced in backyard. So walks were essential for his, you know, his, um, exercise for his mental stimulation, um, for my kind of sanity of getting him out of this uh, house and to deal with my guilt. Because when I had Sunny by myself, I worked as well. I always felt guilty that I wasn't spending enough time with him. I know firsthand that when you're raising a challenging, reactive or aggressive dog, that life isn't all unicorns and rainbows. But I also know that it helps to hear other people's stories. My name is Kaiser van Overbeek, and on this podcast, we share stories of the force-free training journeys of amazing dogs who are just a little rough around the edges. Hi, everyone. Um, Similar to the last episode with Annie Phoenix, I want to put a trigger warning on this episode as well. Because this episode too deals with the very sensitive topic of behavioral euthanasia. So if you want to switch off and skip this episode, I just want to give you that opportunity. Having said that, I do think it is a topic that deserves attention and it's a topic that's not talked about enough. There's a lot of shame around it. Um, There are a lot of, I think, feelings among fellow dog guardians of... Um, I would never do that. I would never have done that. There's a sort of a lack of compassion for guardians who have had to go through it. And I hope that with these two episodes, um, we can give you a little bit of insight on what it's really like to make the decision and to have to go through with that. And yeah, create a little bit of mutual understanding And this episode in particular, again, I didn't edit it down. Um, It's long because, you know, it is what it is. The story deserves to be told in full. And I think the story that Megan is about to tell us is more than anything also a celebration of a beautiful dog's life. And I hope that something you will take away from it. There will be links in the show notes to, for example, the Facebook group that gets mentioned that provides help for people who have had to go through behavioral euthanasia with their pet called Losing Lulu. But I also want to urge you to look up the show notes that go with Annie Phoenix's episode um, because those show notes are chock full of links that could be interesting to you if you want to know more about the topic of behavioral euthanasia if you want to know more about the topic of processing grief and just in general want to understand a little bit more about it having said that let's get to the episode hi everybody today once again i'm talking with somebody on the other side of the pond as we say i'm talking with megan martin uh, who's in ontario canada and I should probably mention before, you know, I turn over to Megan that we were originally scheduled to record a podcast kind of around about a year ago. And I think on the day, maybe it was either the day before or on the day itself, Megan texted me 
And she basically texted me and, and said something along the lines of, I got um, bitten by my dog, uh, by my dog, Sunny, and I'm kind of at a loss of what to do and where to go because I think that I know what the next step is. And I really am not in a position to talk with you or to record a podcast right now. And so we never did, but I kept following Megan on Facebook as it goes nowadays. You follow each other on social media. And so I got to see um, Sunny's story unwind. And I'm going to let Megan tell the story herself. Uh, but we're a year after the fact, and I got back in contact with Megan and I said, hey, I think your story is really important one to share. Would you be up to coming on the podcast anyway, or again, or finally, I guess is what you <laughs> what the word is, and um, share your and Sunny's story. And she agreed. So here we are. And I guess this is where I do turn over to Megan and let her introduce herself. Hi, Megan. Hi, everybody. And thank you so much for having me on the podcast. I'm like really excited to be here and, and share this story. Um, for those of you listening, it's it's uh, on the surface, it's a bit of a sad story, but intertwined um, between the story, there's there's a lot of love and, and lessons. And I, I like to think it's a pretty beautiful story. And unfortunately, it's something that I had to experience. But I think it was put in my path for a reason. Um, but yeah, about a year ago, it was actually February 26. I had, I just brought up the messages on, uh, my Facebook messenger. We had been scheduled to have the interview on February 27th, that, that next morning. And I had, um, been bitten by my dog, Sunny on February 26, um, quite unexpectedly, but at the same time, when you have a dog, um, with, uh, reactivity and aggression, um, it's not unexpected, but it was unexpected at the time and it was quite traumatic. Um, but yeah, I, it was kind of like a crazy happening. We had been scheduled to, to be on the podcast and then as it had it, um, it didn't happen. And it's not something I was ready to do at the time because I didn't really know what was going, going to happen. Like I did at the back of my head, but I wasn't hundred percent sure. Um, but here we are uh, a year, a little bit over a year later. And, um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm excited is a hard word to say, but I think I am because I want to honor Sonny's life and, and his story by sharing it with others. And I've done so, um, online and on my social media and with my friends and family and platforms. So this is the first time I've actually had the opportunity to share it with people that don't know me and don't know Sonny. So I'm really, I'm really honored and I'm really grateful for this opportunity. Well, I have to say, I think it's incredibly brave that you are wanting to come on. And I think what you will have to share is going to be extremely helpful for a lot of people. And I think, well, also from reading your social media, that's what you are all about, about sharing things to be, and that, that might end up supporting other people in their life and their decisions and helping them grow. Um, but I guess maybe we should start chronologically, like at the beginning. And that's like how you found Sunny. Who is Sunny? Tell us about Sunny. <laughs> Uh, yeah. So Sonny, he was a beautiful dog and it's funny because his name was very, um, like Sonny, his name was Sonny. Sonny means so much to so many people. We look at the sun and it's beautiful. It's bright. It brings us so much joy and happiness and, um, growth and, 
just the sun is like what our life revolves around essentially on this earth. And he basically became that in my life after finding him. But there was irony in his name because his name was Sunny, but he was almost like a shadow or more of like the moon side of my life, meaning that he wasn't always that ray of sunshine and that like really easygoing kind of personality that his name was. And I think that's the funny part of ended up like of his him becoming the name Sunny. So I was traveling in 2018. I'm in a van across America. So I had set out in February of 2018 with my partner at the time, Ricky, and we drove across America in a big blue van, um, just traveling to different states and like experiencing different things across the country. And along the way, Ricky had this idea that he wanted a dog. And I've been in the animal rescue world as a volunteer for quite some time prior to our trip. And I've, of course, wanted a dog, but I was the more responsible one, let's say. And I was like, well, I don't think it's really the best time to get a dog. Like, seemingly we're traveling. It's like this picturesque Instagram thing to go adopt the dog. But like, in reality, is it the smartest thing to do? And I kept saying no. And finally, we found ourselves in Los Angeles and I caved in and said, "Okay, let's go to the shelter. So we went to one of the shelters and the Los Angeles shelters are quite heartbreaking. They have maximum capacity of dogs there at any given time. And there's just so many dogs. So as an empathetic person that loves animals, you really want to you know, take a dog out of there and rescue them. Um, but it really wasn't lining up with, you know, my timeline and like my understanding of the responsibility of having a dog. So we went and we met a dog and it just, the meet and greet kind of just didn't go well. And like the energy wasn't there. And Ricky was like, okay, I get it. Like, we're not, we're not going to get a dog. And I'm like, no, I don't think, I really don't think the timing lines up. So a couple days later, we were walking in Echo Park in LA. And at the time, um, a mom and her sons were walking just past us. And at the same time they walked past us, she turns to her boys and says, you know, boys, it's a really big responsibility to have a dog. And I like kind of laughed and I like, I turned to Ricky and I kind of like smacked him in the chest. And I was like, see, I told you. And he's like, like, kind of like that sigh where he's like, I know. And so we were like, we're not getting a dog. And it was like that final decision where we were both like, okay, we're not getting a dog. Okay. So, so many signs like sign one, sign two, definitely. Exactly. We got it. We got the message. <laughs> exactly. So a couple hours later we were in, uh, like, I guess the Chinatown part of LA and we were having, um, lunch and we are just trying, you know, travel things. And we happen to be just walking down the street. And at the time, uh, Ricky was a bartender and he had reached out to this person on Instagram that he wanted to meet in LA. And I tell you these parts of the story because I really do think they matter in terms of like the significance of the timing. So he had reached out to this person and they were like, yes, let's meet up. Um, never really happened. And then all of a sudden we're walking down the streets of Los Angeles in a city of 30 million people. And Ricky goes, that's Jason. And I was like, no way. There's no way. Like, uh-uh. and he's like, no, that's a hundred percent him. So he's like, I'm going to go say hi. And I was like, no, no, that's embarrassing. Like, I'm going to stand over here and pretend like I don't know you. So he goes over and he's like, Hey, are you Jason? And the guy's like, uh, like, do I owe you money? Like, <laughs> like, why do you know me? And then, um, but he, he's like, yeah, that's me. And Ricky told him who he was. And we ended up going out for a drink and talking to him and whatever. 
And like, so in a, in a city of that many people, we find the one person that Ricky wants to meet in LA on the street. So then a couple like hours later, after we met him, we were driving, we left to go do whatever else we were going to do. And we were driving down this industrial part of LA and we find Sonny. And this is the next significant part about it because we had been happening to drive down this kind of dead, dead road. And there was a a big tractor, like a trail truck trailer that was on the left-hand side. And we are driving down the right-hand side. It's hard to explain this on a podcast so you could get the visual, but essentially Sunny was walking down the left side of the sidewalk and I was driving down the right side of the street and there was a big truck there. So if we would have been driving any faster and Sunny walking any slower, we would have missed each other. If I wasn't looking to the left and was just looking the other way, I wouldn't have seen him. And I just happened to see him. And I said, Ricky, pull over. And so he pulls over and I didn't like, was not thinking at this time. I a hundred percent do not recommend anybody to do what I did. And just for some reason, something took over and told me that I needed to get this dog. So I got out of the van and I called the strange dog, stray dog across the street to me. Um, number one, you shouldn't do that. It's a strange dog in Los Angeles. He, uh, he was a pit bull, which I love pit bulls. I love all breeds of dogs, but like, you know, being in LA, um, in an area that's known for, you know, stuff like that. Um, I probably really wasn't doing the smartest thing. So I called him across the street and he ran directly to me and I was like, Oh my goodness. Like, what do I do now? Okay. This dog ran over to me, but what do I do? He had a collar on him. It was this leather studded collar that was frayed along the edges and it had no identification tag on him. Um, So there were like some signs that this was a little bit like, you know, I don't know his story. I found him as a stray, but I do have some assumptions that I can make based off of the situation. Um, So I kind of walked around the area. Mind you, there really wasn't any people. There was one security guard and there's nobody around. So like he definitely walked a couple miles to get to this position And I was like, do you know this dog? Have you seen him before? And he's like, nope, I don't know him. And I was like, all right, well, I got to figure out what to do with him now. I can't just leave him. So I coax him into the van with like a vegan burger. He's got no problem coming in the van. And we drive to the dollar store to grab this flimsy little leash that I still like we still have today and a little bag of dog food. And we're like, "Okay, so like we have a dog. What do we do? Um, I remember posting on social media, like, so hypothetically speaking, if you found a dog and like, what do you do? And people were kind of giving their advice, but I was like, okay, well, we have to get him scanned for a microchip and bring him in somewhere. So it was determined that the next day we would bring him to the shelter to have him scanned for a chip and then they would do whatever else. Um, so the first night he spent with us in the van, um, yeah, (laughs) goodness and so i i mean since you kept him i'm guessing there was probably no microchip or maybe and not nothing was registered and and like and how did that first night go yeah so um the first night we so we were traveling in a van which meant we just kind of like pulled up and slept anywhere um and we had been let's say boondocking in manhattan beach so basically what you do is you kind of just pull up to a neighborhood at like 11 p.m. midnight, you sleep overnight. No one suspects anything. Everybody's sleeping. And then you leave in the morning. So we kind of just did that again. And Sonny slept on the ground like the whole night. Like he didn't move a muscle. He didn't bark. He didn't do anything. He just slept super soundly. And that night that we had found him, like he jumped up on the bed right away. Like I have my first pictures with him were like, like him 
kissing my face and um we brought him out like we had no idea what what we were doing and we had no idea what was in in store for us because there really weren't any like signs um so then we bring him to the shelter the next day and that's where i learned sunny's signature thing was sitting on the front seat specifically sitting on my lap so at the time he was about 65 60 65 pounds and uh, when he passed away he ended up being 70 pounds of just pure muscle he was just a short stocky little pitbull um but he loved to sit on my lap in the front seat of the van like he had to be up front he was the boss and i learned that like early on in our relationship that we had. Um, so I have a picture of us where he's just sitting on my lap, literally known him for like less than 24 hours. And we're driving to the shelter. And I still at the back of my mind, like, this wasn't like, this wasn't my dog. I, I didn't know what was going on, but the smart and appropriate and responsible thing to do is bring to the shelter, have him scan for a microchip. Did he have any owners? Um, I know I didn't want him to go back to whoever his owners were at the time of seeing him and just, he wasn't in horrible condition, but he wasn't in great condition. He had that big studded collar on him. I just, something didn't feel right. So we brought him to the shelter and I asked them, okay, so he doesn't have a microchip. What are, what is the process if I did want to adopt him? And they said, okay, well, you can put first rights on him, which means in four or five days, if his owners don't claim him, you're the first person who can adopt him. So they said, call back on Thursday. This was Monday, the 21st, I believe, because I found him on May 20th and uh, call back. If he's not gone, you can adopt him. And uh, so the story goes, I call back on the Thursday, rather kind of hesitantly, but curious. And he was still there. And at the time they put him on the shelter website named as Owen. And, and like, we were like, yeah, he's not an Owen. So we go back uh, the next day on the Friday and yeah, we, we, we adopted him. Um, I have a video of us before we went into the shelter and I was like, Hey, uh, like we're, we're going to adopt this dog. I'm like, sorry, mom. Like, I know you're not <laughs> going to be happy about it. Cause at the time I was still living at home. Like it was like the the most irresponsible decision to make. Like we were traveling in this van, didn't know how much longer we were going to be. I didn't have like, we didn't have an apartment to go home to, but we like, we were planning to move into apartment, but wouldn't be right when we got home. Like there was a lot of uncertainty, but there was, it was just such a certain thing that I, I, I needed to go back for him. Like something was telling me, um, that I had to go back for him. <clears throat> and so now he becomes your dog. And you're still traveling in the van and then did everything. I'm, I'm guessing not. It, I guess it didn't stay as picturesque as it was before with him riding in your lap and not twitching a muscle and sleeping <laughs> on the floor. I'm sure stuff happened. And yes. now you've got me curious as to what that was. So I think we all have this um, idea that you rescue a dog, the dog's super grateful. You see all these videos on the dodo and all these beautiful videos that they craft together that like rescuing a dog is like the best thing you're ever going to do in your life. And it's so rewarding. And you and the dog like just live happily ever after. And I don't, I'm definitely a realistic person, but the Pisces in me is a huge dreamer. And so like, of course I thought this was going to be like, this is like I'm traveling in a van. I rescued this dog. And honestly, it got crushed within like two days of having him because the first three days of having him in the van were absolutely horrible. He was not fixed at the time as well. He didn't know us from anybody. Um, so he was really mouthy and he was like humping us as a dog with arousal issues does. And it was like a horrible three days. And 
I'll, I'll preface this as well as when we went to go back to get him at the shelter, we, the shelter staff went back to go get him and they come back and they said, we can't take him out of the, the kennel. He's lunging and barking and like growling at us. Like we can't, we can't get him. Can you come back and make sure this is actually the dog that you want to take home? So we went back there and the moment he saw us, this is where I knew it was like, it was meant to be because he was growling and lunging and barking at the people there. And I had only known him for 24 hours, dropped him off at the shelter and then came back. So he barely knew us. And we walked up to the kennel and the moment he saw us, he wagged his tail and he didn't growl. And it was like, it was like, it was fate. It was a hundred percent meant to be. And so they ended up getting him out. We're like, no, this is the dog. And that's when we decided like we got him and that's where his name kind of became sunny as well. So the time I was in Los Angeles, like everybody thinks LA is like the nicest place ever. It's always sunny in California. It was actually cold the whole time I was there. It was cloudy and it was warmer here in uh, Ontario at the time in May than it was in Los Angeles. But the day I found him and the day I adopted him, the sun was out. And for some reason, the name Sonny is what came to be. Uh, Ricky wanted like to name him Fernie and some other things, but I'm a very stubborn person. And I think like, like I was like, no, I love the name Sonny. I don't know where it came from, but it was Sonny. So three days into having him, I actually returned him to the shelter. And that's something like, I was like, like, I didn't really talk about it a lot, but it, it happened because I was like, we can't do this. Like what, what happens if his can, like, what if he deteriorates in the van? Like, what if things get worse? Like maybe his best bet is to go back to the shelter and <clears throat> someone else will adopt him. So we're like, you know, okay, let's, we'll just bring him back. And we brought him back. Ricky was the one who had to put him in the kennel. Literally the moment we walked out of that shelter, I instantly knew I made the worst decision I've ever made in my life. And I remember quite vividly, we drove away, we had to pull a like two minutes down the road, had to pull over and we just cried. And then we went to Venice beach where you're supposed to be happy and there's good vibes. And we just walked through there like zombies crying. And I was like, Ricky, we did the worst. Like, what did we just do? And he's like, I don't know. And he was like devastated. And then we were like, we have to go back and get him. How do we get this dog back? So like three days later, we figured out how to get him. We reclaimed him and we readopted him again, reluctantly on their part, because they were unhappy that we had dropped him off in the first place. And we're like, no, no, we're going to go home. Like things are different. So we got him this time. He was neutered, which kind of did make a difference, but did make it kind of challenging in the van. And uh, yeah, so then then that's kind of where the story and the journey began. Um, we started traveling back home. So we were in L.A. So we drove up the West Coast and then eventually across Canada back into where I'm from, Windsor, which is across from Detroit. And, um, I actually went away for two weeks to Europe and that timing, uh, to visit family in Hungary and Croatia with my dad and my sister. So I left Ricky in the van with this dog. He barely knew with very little experience with dogs, um, to just, Hey, okay, just chill out for two weeks. And that's where they really bonded. Um, they went up to San Francisco and just basically just spent two weeks in the van. And that's when we kind of started to notice something was a little off with him. We did kind of know right away when he was aggressive at the shelter. Um, but the time that Ricky had with him for two weeks in the van alone, that's where we were like, okay, something isn't right. And we have to figure this out. Like this isn't going to be easy, but it's going to be worth it. But still at the time, this is May, May, June, 2018. I really had absolutely no idea what the next three years was going to have in store for us. I just knew that this was 
this, I was dedicated to this dog. And I had made that decision that no matter what, I was going to do whatever I could to protect him and to make him have a good life. Because clearly whatever happened previously to me finding him, um, he wasn't set up for success. So I was going to offer that to him. Oh, so this is now you coming back from Europe and you said that, um, your ex-boyfriend had bonded with him already. Was that a, was that a thing already? Did you notice something like when you came back, was there a difference between how Sonny treated Ricky and how he treated you or what was, I think, um, not necessarily, but I think because I started to know that, you know, like I, I started seeing the signs that there was some aggression in him. So my mind was primed to be cautious. So I was very cautious around him. Like nothing happened really just besides mouthing and stuff. Um, but the, like, there's a bit of lunging and then Ricky was just very, like, he didn't really have a lot of experience with dogs, um, in general. And so he was just like, he did bond with him, but it was like, um, he just had no clue the capacity of what a dog could actually do, um, within, within aggression or reactivity, but I had been in the rescue space and I reached out to people and like, I started seeing signs. Um, so I was always in the three years of having him. And even in the beginning, very, like something could always happen. So always like on alert, like on, um, watching things, thinking, thinking of all the possibilities where Ricky, like, um, we've talked about it. He's very like, just like, didn't like nothing bad's going to happen. Like, I love this dog. And like, I'm going to, you know what I mean? So he just didn't, his connection with Sonny was a little bit more like that loving, beautiful, like, you know, dog dad relationship. And Sonny like was always really good with, with Ricky, because I think he had a lot more relaxed personality because he wasn't as on edge where I was on edge. Um, and obviously that made an impact, but it obviously made me to have the ability to, to learn and train Sunny throughout the process. Whereas Ricky didn't have the same capacity. Um, but Sunny had a, definitely had a different relationship with Ricky as he did with me. And then obviously it transpired a year after we found him when we ended our relationship and Sunny became my sole responsibility and the dynamic was very different. Um, but yeah, that's, we found him May 20th in 2018 and slowly made our way back to Canada and eventually landed back in Windsor around July 8th. Um, so Sonny was in the van with us for just about a month and a half and he was amazing. Like he actually did great. Um, he was besides the little things that were popping up, he actually was fine seeing people like other dogs on trails. He went to Yosemite. He went to the Redwoods. We went to Portland, Eugene, Seattle. He went to Vancouver, Squamish, um, Kamloops in British Columbia. I have pictures of him in front of like Half Dome and El Capitan and Yosemite. Um, he drove across the prairies of Canada because, um, I live right across from the international crossing of Detroit and Windsor. So it's very easy for me to access the the United States, but because Sonny was a pit bull, I don't a hundred percent know he was, I didn't do a DNA test, but I mean, you can kind of see he was either a staffy pit bull mix of some sort. Um, but actually there, we have a BSL law in Ontario. So there are certain breeds of dogs that are banned in Ontario, which includes pit bulls, Staffordshire terriers, and bull terriers, mind you, it's a very outdated law, which most people know. Um, and a lot of people still have pit bulls here, but I didn't want to cross in the Detroit border just in case anything happened. So I drove, we drove the whole trip across Canada, like just took all the prairies and Ontario is a very big province. And it takes like, it's an extra, it's at least an extra 12 to 15 hours of a drive than cutting through the States. 
Um, but I did it because I just didn't want any problems at the border. Um, and then we wound up in Windsor and then that's where like, I was like, oh my gosh, what did we get ourselves into? Like, this is going to be probably the most challenging thing of my entire life. <laughs> and, and so just out of curiosity, you said there were other than the little things you said. So what <laughs> were the little things that already like in, of course, in hindsight, because that's always a beautiful thing. Yeah. Um, were the things that had you go like, ah, wait a second. And then probably what was the big thing once you got to Ontario? Yeah. So it was like, um, the lunging at like things that were moving on walks, like people, um, or dogs or like just things that were moving just very subtle things or the mouthing, the lots of biting, um, like the arms, your arms, but like, just kind of in play. Um, I don't remember entirely along the trip because I still think I was in that, like, I guess, honeymoon phase oh, of rescuing yeah, this dog. dog. And I was just like, Oh, it's just the stress of being in the van. And like, he actually was really good. But what I have learned through more research and understanding dogs with reactivity and rescue dogs is dogs need a lot of time to decompress. And he was, and then when I look back on photos of him in the first like month and a half of having him in the van, his facial expression, the way he held his ears, his body language, he was still, he was scared. Like he didn't know who we are. Like he was happy to be experiencing what he was, I believe, but his body language showed that he was still kind of like unsure So when a dog is like that, he's feeling out his environment and he didn't have a lot of confidence until we got home and he was in his own space and he kind of started building that confidence in himself. And that's when I really realized like he was reactive and he did have aggression um, because I, the signs aren't like from the research I've done and the people I've talked to, people didn't recognize it at first. The dog didn't really come out of their shell till months later. Um, and that's definitely something that can happen. But when I look back on photos, like his ears were a bit back, they were a little bit lower. And then over time, his ears would go up and he was just like a happier, more alert, like in his, in him, in his self kind of dog. Whereas in the beginning, you could tell he was just not confident in himself. Hmm. And do you think like, because I always ask people who bring up this decompression and after rescue, after rescue, um, I, I asked them like, cause they, the, the going saying is, you know, three days, three weeks, three months. Do you feel that that was sort of accurate for Sunny as well? Or was it a little bit more than that? Uh, yeah, I definitely agree with that decompression rate. I'd say probably around <clears throat> two, three months is when like, I really saw like his true self, I suppose, not really like his true self was this beautiful, amazing dog, but just it, his trauma was starting to come out. But, uh, he, the hard part was, is, and I made a lot of mistakes in the beginning. Like if I, if I would have known more, like if I would have known now what I like, then what I do now, I feel like I could have made a difference in the beginning, but we had come back. We were living between my house, my parents' house and Ricky's parents' house. We had the van. We were waiting to get our apartment in, in, in August. So for like a month, we were going just, it was just back and forth of different places. And Sonny didn't really have that actual time to decompress. He didn't have that, you know, hours where he was just alone and he was around people. And um, then when we moved into the apartment, uh, I started to notice more things. But the big, the big thing when I really noticed this was a problem is we we're at my parents' house, like probably two weeks or a week after getting home and we were playing fetch in the backyard and I, he ran after the ball, then came back towards me. And as he came back towards me, he grabbed my arms and he started to like 
no, there was no puncture, no blood, no nothing, but he was grabbing my arms, like grab, let go, grab, let go, grab, let go. And I was freaking out like, Oh my God, like what is going on? And it wasn't like super aggressive. There was not really any growling. It was more playing, but he mouthed my arms pretty bad and, and terrified me. And then he did it again. And then he did it again. And I was like, what's going on? So I reached out to a couple of people, ended up bringing him to a trainer in Amherstburg. And that went horrible. Like it was like the worst experience I've ever had in my life. And I was really, really um, disappointed that I went there. Um, Long story short, it was a group training session that I brought this Sunny to. Number one, horrible decision. It should have been a one-on-one training. Number two, the training ended up being over an hour. Sunny was doing amazing. He was a very good listener and he actually was very I like, don't like to use the word, but obedient, I suppose. Like he listened, he really picked up on commands and and whatever I was teaching him prior, Uh, but it was over his threshold. And once it got over his threshold, he started biting at the leash and started trying to bite me. So the trainer decided he was going to make an, uh, an example out of Sonny, this big man, probably like 200 pound guy, grab the leash and bring Sonny in front of a crowd of people with their dogs and says, you know, if you if you have a dog like this, you, you have to make a decision. Like if you can't train him, you're going to have to get rid of them or something like that. And like, he didn't deescalate the situation. He escalated it and it was really embarrassing. And I was really upset and I ended up leaving. And that's kind of the moment where I realized I like, I had a problem, but I needed to figure it out myself because I wasn't going to rely on a trainer to do that. Um, and I tried to reach out to people in the area, but there wasn't as many people that had experience in lines of like what I was dealing with with Sunny, like the signs and everything, the more research that I did, I realized there's not really many trainers here that were capable of it. And then that kind of catalyzed the, like, I gotta know, I gotta learn, like, what am I doing? Tried to learn different methods. Um, you know, I started with the balance training of like using a prong collar and an e-collar and corrections and more of that aggressive approach to training. And fortunately, soon after I learned more about, you know, positive reinforcement and uh, like conditioning and, and, and stuff like that. Mind you, like I only was able to do what I could at the time in the knowledge that I had. And it wasn't a lot, but I did my best. Um, but it was very, very, very hard. Like if I was more equipped and had a lot more resources and understanding, I think I would have been able to do a better job. But throughout the process, especially in the last year, I realized like not, unfortunately, not every dog can be saved. And a lot of people in the rescue world and the world in general, they really do think like every dog can be saved. Every dog that has aggression can be transformed. And I've had to come to the conclusion, like that was not the case for me and Sunny. And, uh, it was, I, I, it was a hard thing to come to, but it was actually like a really healing thing to also come to as well. So I guess we would probably get into like um, the whole decision and that experience as well. Yeah. And I just, what you were telling me triggered a couple of things in me. Um, one of the questions I have for you was when, when, um, you tried the balance training with the prong collar and all of that, because you'd been into animal rescue and like the way I know you, you're, you love animals. So you're really into their welfare. So was there any part of you that was kind of like nagging and saying like, Hey, Megan, is this, is this it? And then, but I guess this is what the trainers are telling uh, you to do. So how did that work for you? And then uh, what was the other question I wanted to ask you? Yeah. You said like, if I had known more, I would have been able to better help him. 
like how have you been able to deal with that thought? Because I think that's also very familiar to a lot of people where we kind of go guilting ourselves for being who we were at the time, you know, for not knowing more. Yeah. Which in a sense is a bit crazy because, you know, like we, that's who we were. So why guilt yourself over not being someone else? But still, I I wonder how that sentiment um, played out like for you. Yeah. So, um, for your first question in terms of balance training, um, yeah, I use the prong collar and the e collar and I was very desperate. We'll just put it that way. And those solutions or those options seemed like a solution that was more effective in the short term. And, um, I was just thought like, you know, using a, a prong collar was like, it would, it wouldn't be hurtful or harmful if I did it the right way. And like at the the same time, like I just felt like something wasn't right, but I didn't know what else to do. Um, Luckily, like we did muzzle train Sonny. So he was, we had to use a muzzle on him for safety purposes Um, for, so for the listeners, it's really hard to paint the entire picture, but Sonny was a reactive dog and he was aggressive. Um, He really could only be around me and Ricky. Um, We did work up to him having a couple people in his circle, but I could never fully trust him around people alone. When I would take him for walks as slowly, he started like, it wasn't in the beginning, but over time he would lunge at people that he saw across the street, dogs. He would lunge at like if a garbage pail was blue in the wind, he would lunge at that. And then he started redirecting. So every time something would, would cause him an issue on a walk, he would redirect, redirect that energy at me. And I was terrified of taking him for walks. So I used to have to start walking him early in the morning, which obviously with your podcast episode with Annie Phoenix, um, the midnight dog walker, I'm, I'm sure that probably came up in conversation. You really had to start making your life change based off of your dog's, um, managing your dog's behaviors. So my whole life changed and revolved around him. So the e-collar and the prong, I really only used for the first year of having him. And then when my uh, ex and I had split up and Sunny became my responsibility, I was like, I got to learn more about how to do this in a more effective way. That was actually going to teach Sonny how to, you know, to handle the, his stressors and, and teaching him rather than just telling him what he's doing is wrong. I, I need to teach him the, like the right way and how not to, to what, how things are safe and yeah. how to be, to, how to experience the world in a positive way. Not like, no, this is bad. You're doing something bad because you're scared. And, and slowly over time, I started to realize his reactivity and aggression was based in fear. And I, w- I've always been a compassionate person. And like you said, I love animals. Animal welfare is incredibly important to me. So once I started to understand that that aggression And that reactivity was coming from a place of fear. I think that's when I even softened a bit more because when you have a dog like that, and I'm sure people can relate that have maybe challenging children or understand from having a a dog or just someone in their life, that's really difficult. You react too. And when you react and you're reacting to that reaction, it just fuels the fire. And like, there's so much going on inside your heart and your, your body that it just doesn't go well. And the more that I was getting upset about it, then he would feed off of that energy because I just couldn't mentally, like, I couldn't really, I couldn't handle it. And then because of that, I started resenting him. And when you're resenting something, you can't, you can't constructively help somebody. So when I started to learn that what was going on was because he was afraid of things, this dog, this beautiful dog that was like 
you know, so muscular, like so terrifying to most people. He was scared of everything in the world. And when I started to realize that I was like, okay, how do I teach him that the world is not a scary place? And that kind of shifted things. And we made so much progress in the two years after I made that realization, so much progress. And like, he started being able to be around people and our walks were a bit better. I learned about decompression walks and long leashes and taking him out on trails where no one was around and really trying to reduce his, um, uh, opportunities of stress, which was always there. I was able to walk him a lot without the muzzle because the muzzle caused him a lot of stress on walks. So I always had it with me that I could put it on him in case I felt like there was a situation where I needed it. Um, things never got great. Walking him was not enjoyable when people take their dogs for walks. It's usually a mutual relationship they have with an enjoyment with their dogs. Walks were not like that for me and Sunny. I was always on alert, always watching, but I lived alone in an apartment and I didn't have a fenced in backyard. So walks were essential for his, you know, his, um, exercise for his mental stimulation, um, for my kind of sanity of getting him out of this uh, house and to deal with my guilt, because when I had sunny by myself, I worked as well. I always felt guilty that I wasn't spending enough time with him. Um, and that kind of leads into your second question where, uh, I grappled a lot in the last year and even during the time that I had Sunny that I had to just come to the conclusion that I, I did the best at the time with the knowledge that I had. And I think if we all gave ourselves that grace that we were doing in hindsight, we always can look back and say, why didn't I think of this? Or why didn't I do that? There's times where I'll go on like walks in Windsor now thinking like, why didn't I just get up at six in the morning and take him for walks and deal with it and just really get out before? Why didn't I get up at four in the morning and do that? Why didn't I bring him to this location and just spend more time uh, on him? Even though I was, I was already spending like 99% of my time with him. I kept thinking back after like, I could have done more. I could have done more. And then when I started to realize like, no, Megan, like you were dealing with your own personal things that you were going through, you were trying to support yourself and live life as well, while having this challenging dog that you knew nothing about how to deal with. And they're really like, there's resources out there, but there's not really concrete resources and people that can just help you throughout the whole process. It was something that I needed to go through. And, uh, when I came to the understanding, at least like a few months, I think after Sunny passed away that I did the best with the knowledge I had at the time, I let go a bit of that guilt and that like remorse that I was the horrible person that like caused this to happen. Um, and it just made me like embrace more of like the good things that I actually did and the progress that I did make. Like Sunny was a very intelligent dog. I dog walk and I do dog walking and pet sitting now, and I love all animals, but when I think of like what I actually trained Sunny to do and the things that we learned together, I'm like, wow, like we actually did so much. Like there's a lot of dogs I see today and people don't have time to train their dogs or work with them and, you know, teach them things of how to interact in a, in a more appropriate way with the world. But their dogs are friendly and like people and like dogs and everything. So they get away with any type of behavior. Um, and I didn't have that privilege with Sunny. Like I had to, to teach him things. And that dog was like, he would, I could tell him to go in his house and he would walk into his house, go onto his place. Like we'd play, um, like a hide and seek in the house. And like, I would hide things around the house and he would find them. And he, like, I taught him how to, one of my 
I think one of my uh, most proudest thing that I taught him was on walks, like the look at me command or cue where I'd say, look, and he would look at me and I would give him a treat. And like, he, he was very attentive in that way. Um, and his recall was relatively good, but he was still sunny and he was a bit stubborn. And I kind of let things slide a little bit because of the way he was. Um, but when I started to look back at all the good times that we did have and the, the um, amazing things that he learned, that's where I kind of like, I came to like, um, that conclusion that like, I did the best that I could when at the time. And then I was really proud of myself for that. Yeah. So in the end, um, because you had Sunny for almost four years, three, right? three or three years. Yeah. And so when, when did things start to change? Because at first you were making progress, right. And you're kind of yeah. like, okay, I need to figure this out. I'm going to get there. I, I have some idea now of what I need to do. Yeah. And then what shifted? So it was actually November 1st of 2020. And that was, so Sunny had bit me a few times over the years, but the bites were never like never broke skin. Um, they never were really severe. They just kind of like were nips or happened in like my, it was always my fault in a way. Well, it always was my fault because I either put him in a position that caused him stress and he reacted. Um, so the first was November 1st, I found a tick on his neck and ticks are really gross and they cause me a lot of anxiety. So I was like, Oh my God, I have to find the tick key. And I was like, I was kind of freaking out. And so, and then I should have just relaxed, waited a little bit, and then proceeded to take the, the tick off of his neck. But instead I didn't, I went right for it. And he was like, what the heck's going on? Why is she so anxious? And he reacted and he bit my arm. And that was the first, like, where I was like, oh, okay. Like we made so much progress and okay. He, that just happened. And it wasn't bad, but it was a little, like it left a mark on my, my arm and it freaked me out a lot. Um, so that was November 1st of 2020. And then it's hard to come back from things that happen like that. So in Sonny's time with me, I was the only person that he ever bit. Uh, he never really like, he never bit Ricky, like seriously, it was just more of the play mouthing kind of thing. I was the only person and in total, it was about six times. Every time he did, it's like, it set me back. It set our training back. It set my confidence in him and my trust in him. And it was like a part of me died every time it happened. What and did you I make started... it mean? Like when, when he would bite you, like to you, pardon, what did you make it mean when he would bite you? A lot of times, like I would, I would, I never blamed him. It was always like, it was my fault, but it was like, I just don't understand like why, why me? Like I'm the one who spends all of this time with him and takes care of him. Like, why is he biting me? Um, and I don't think I understood it till late, like after. So Then it was January of 2021, a couple months later, we were out on a walk, just our normal decompression walk. And sometimes what Sonny would do is when he'd get that burst of energy, like those zoomies that everybody loves when dogs do, he would go, he'd run. I had a 30 foot leash and he would run. He'd hit the end of the leash. That tension would he'd pull. And then he'd come back and he'd spot me and he'd barrel towards me. And it was scary because I knew he was going to jump on me and try to like nip at me. And so it was cold and he just kind of like, he bit my leg, but just as like more of just a, a nip, but it was cold out. I was tense and I ended up with this big bruise on my leg. Didn't really think much of it because it was more of like an accident. He just kind of came up to me and it happened. It wasn't like super, like I was the target of it. And then that was January, 2021. And then a month later is when he bit my arm and that was the most severe bite and slow. So 
we had made so much progress, but the bites, those three bites came out of kind of like seemingly nowhere. They started to happen more severely and they started happening with less time in between them. So the last thing that happened was uh, February 26th of 2021. I had taken him for a walk that morning to a new place. And this is what I've had to come. I had to like really um, accept that it wasn't entirely like I blamed myself a lot. So we went to a new place. It was quite busy. And so I was like, oh, there's a lot of people here. Let's walk down this trail. And I have, I was waiting for my, my per- person I was dating at the time to meet me at the trail. And we walked down this, like where no one was at. And once, once uh, my partner had got there, we, um, we went over to him and Sonny got really excited to see him. And he, there was a bike going by and other people, and it was just really chaotic. And he came running after me and started biting the leash and he started pulling at the leash and biting the leash. And I was like really embarrassed because there's people around and this dog's aggressively biting at the leash. So I dragged him back to my car, like praying to the, to the universe that he wasn't going to bite me in public. I was always fearful of him biting me in public because he's, you know, people are going to think something of his breed. And then like, I was going to get in trouble and like traumatic kind of thing. So I get him back in the car and, uh, I bring him, and this is like, I, I felt like I was so stupid. So that happened. I calmed down. Like I took some breaths. Sonny was fine. He kind of bounced back. I brought him over to, um, my Ricky's mom's house at the time because his brother, cause me and Ricky were still friends and, uh, his brother had just got a puppy. So I brought him over, Sonny over to introduce him to the puppy. So Sonny likes dogs. He got all excited, whatever. So he went from that high state of arousal at the park to the second state of arousal of meeting this dog. And I bring him home and I was like, okay, we need a decompression afternoon. Just, you know, let him lay on the couch, do whatever. And it was a couple hours later where he was kind of muddy. So I decided to brush him and I, Sonny didn't really like to be touched. I had to be very, very like cautious and um, calculated in how I was going to like brush him or put his harness on or like be very cautious because he just didn't like to be touched for the most part. He loved being pet. He liked massages and stuff, but it was on his own terms. You had to do it like very calmly and cautiously and like, let him come to you. So we were sitting on, uh, it's just like right in my living room. We were sitting, I was face to face with him. I had one of those, uh, hand brushes, like those gloves. And so I was petting him and I was brushing his chest and there was like, there was like warning signs, but I missed it. He was pretty stiff and like, I just, there wasn't a lot of warning signs. And I think right after it happened, that's where I realized we have skipped the warning. There was no growl. There was no like him trying to get away from the situation. It went from me brushing him to him attacking me. And so I was brushing his uh, chest and he just, I don't even really remember what happened. He just grabbed my arm. And, uh, he did let go. Like, I'm very lucky that it didn't like, he didn't, didn't escalate, but he grabbed my arm and I was on the ground. So honestly, it it could have been any body part. It just happened to be my arm. Um, and that's where, like, I always knew at the back of my head that there was always a potential that this, something could happen. That was, I could be in a dangerous situation with Sunny and like, 90% of the time, Sonny was amazing, but there was like that small percentage where he would flip a switch. And that's where I saw it that day. I, he flipped the switch and it was like, he went dark. It was like, it was the scariest thing I've ever experienced. He bit me. And all I remember is running into the bathroom and I was in shock and I looked at my arm and I was like, 
and I knew, I knew, I even knew before I got up and went to the bathroom and that split second that he bit me, I'm like, oh my God, I'm going to have to make a decision like that. I don't want to make, but that was like, I, I feared for my life basically in that moment. And I looked down and I, or I looked down and I, I've, I've made a lot of excuses too, where I'm like, I wasn't even that bad. I didn't have to get stitches. It, it was, it bled. My whole arm ended up bruising and, uh, it was pretty bad like to most people. But when you own a dog like that, you make a lot of like, wasn't that bad. Like it could have been worse. Like I would have put up with a lot more, but I called my friend who was an animal rescue. And, and we both were just kind of like, without saying it, we both kind of knew. And I, I, then I had reached out to you and a couple other people. And by the next day I was like, okay, I'm going to have to make that decision of behavioral euthanasia for Sunny. And I had known about what behavioral euthanasia was because about a year and a half prior, I went to a vet and we had a horrible experience. He like, he ended up like trying to attack the vet and then was redirecting at me. And, and she had called me a couple of days later and said, I just need to be honest. That was the most terrified I'd ever been with a dog. And I know that you don't want to hear this, but I really think you do need to know that there's potential in your future where behavioral euthanasia might be an option. And I was really angry. I was really mad that she would present that option to me because I was trying really hard. And I, I didn't try everything. I didn't put them on medication. Like there's so much more I needed to do. Why was that the option now? Um, but looking back, like, I'm really grateful that she did say that to me because then I didn't feel as like horrible of a person for instantly knowing that was what I was going to have to do next. And so kind of what transpired was he bit me February 26, 2021. The next day I was like, I called the vet to make the appointment and I was informed that the health unit would have to be called because it was a bite. And I would have to wait 10 days between the bite, the incident and the appointment because of rabies. They would have to quarantine him in my house to make sure he didn't have rabies, which obviously he didn't have. And, um, yeah, it was probably one of the like the hardest 10 days of my life, um, preceding that. I'm sure that you hadn't expected that either. So now there's 10 days of you living with the dog that you love, knowing that you are going to make that decision. So how did that go? Yeah. So Not, probably, <laughs> um, I think it, it was like, I had come to the acceptance almost right away because there really wasn't any other options. Um, I had rightfully proclaimed to myself and that Sonny was my dog and he was my responsibility and he was, I was his person and whatever I had to do, (laughs) I knew I was going to eventually cry on this. Um, It's totally fine because (laughs) I always preface things with conversations with people that I'm a very emotional person. (laughs) Crying is totally fine with me. Um, but it's just like, and I'm, it's just natural to, to be emotional about this topic. Um, but, um, uh, yeah, so I had, I had known that whatever I was going to do, it was my, it was my decision. It was going to be on my terms. Um, but it, so making that decision, there was a lot of, like a lot of guilt and remorse and almost like not self-hatred, but like a lot of self-doubt. But when I had made the appointment for March 10th, I just, I had 10 days. So everything that happened after that was, it wasn't even, it's not a blur because it was very, it was very like planned out. So I had to call Ricky 
And I had to tell him that this was going to happen. And I told I actually called him right after the bite happened. And Ricky hadn't had hadn't spent the last two years with Sonny like I had. Ricky would come visit Windsor and I would let him see Sonny and they would, you know, they'd always have a good time. Like Ricky got to see Sonny always on the good days. He'd always hang out with Sonny and, and Rick, Sonny would be so happy to see Ricky because he always dealt with me on a daily basis. And now he gets to see the fun, um, fun Ricky and like whatever. So he didn't, Ricky didn't quite understand why I was choosing this. And he came home from Montreal in that time frame to visit Sonny and tried to convince me to change my mind and that he could take him and that he could do it. And I was like, what you're not understanding is I'm the only person that could have saved quote unquote, saved Sonny or changed him because I had the time, the knowledge, the understanding of dog's background. And as much as I, I love Ricky as a person and we have a a wonderful friendship, especially if he does listen to this, we've, we've talked about it a lot since then, but he just didn't have the capacity to have a dog like Sonny in his, in his, uh, wheelhouse and in his responsibility. Plus I'm a stubborn person uh, there was no way I was going to be able to live with that fear that Sonny could, something could happen because I was the one who got bit. I had that, I experienced that immediate fear for my life when he bit me that I could never subject another person to that. And I also, I say that I wanted Sonny to leave this world with dignity, knowing that no one else was hurt because of him. And he never had the opportunity to hurt another person because he didn't mean to hurt me. Like he was not a vicious dog and dogs and animals and even people that, you know, experience traumatic things in their life that hurt others. They don't necessarily, especially dogs, they don't, they're not doing it out of vengeance. He didn't want to hurt me. He just was scared. And that was his option. He didn't know any better. Something happened to him in his past, but perhaps it was in his genetics. Maybe it was a neurological, maybe something was going on physically that I didn't know about because I really couldn't bring him to the vet. Um, so there was either like, there is a melting point of a lot of things that occurred that brought him to the point of him attacking my arm. And after he bit me, I ran into the bathroom, as I mentioned, and I closed the door. And this was like, this is the moment where I just knew that I couldn't allow him to suffer in this world any longer because I looked at him and he was like, I could just see it all over his face. Sonny was like the dog with the big smile and these big ears. And he was like, he was done. Like his, his face was like, I'm so sorry. And I know dogs don't have remorse necessarily. Like we all think like when a dog does a bad Mm -hmm. thing, like goes through the garbage and you come home, like they don't necessarily know they like did a bad thing. They just know that you're going to be upset with them because it's not an ordinary thing for them to do. Um, I know he knew he like hurt me, but I don't think he was like, cause even just like even 10 minutes after it happened, he was licking my face, wagging his tail and everything was back to normal. But I had to live with the fear that it could happen again. But because he didn't have calculated understanding that he was going to bite me again, two months from now or three months from now, he was just a dog. He lived in the moment. He bit me that moment. He was you know, the, all that cortisol that went through his body. And 10 minutes later, he was back to being his normal self. And that's where I was like, something isn't right here. And is it selfish for me to continue to allow this being who honestly, it's, it's, it's a crazy thing to go through when you have that responsibility of another animal or, or, um, beings life. Basically I say, like, I literally held his life in my hands and 
a lot of people that either listen to this or have heard our story, they have been very understanding, um, but they never been in my shoes and they probably wouldn't have known what to do at the time. And there's a lot of people that would think like, I'm sure you could have done more. There's more you could have done. Like eh, dogs can be saved. And a lot of people have this preconceived notion that like, I just, pe- you just didn't do enough. You got to do more, but they just didn't, they never really, they don't really know what I went through. It was like, it was really hard. And I had to come to this. I, I believe it was a compassionate decision knowing that if he could bite me, the person that dedicated their whole life to this dog, all of their time, their love, their energy that spent countless hours with them. And he knew I loved him. If he could bite me, what was going on inside of his mind and his body that forced him to do that? Because he didn't want to do it. No, nobody wants to hurt another, another person or another being. It just, it just happened. So that's where I was like, okay, I have, I have to do this. And it's going to be the hardest thing I ever do in my life. Um, And so that 10 days, it was a blessing in disguise, but it was really, really hard. So I knew I had March 10th was the appointment. And so I was going to make the best of it. Like I mentioned, Ricky came to visit Sunny got like ice cream and like cheeseburgers. And we went to all, all these amazing places. I brought him home, like this giant bully stick and bones and toys and all this stuff. He ripped apart as many toys as he wanted. And we spent a lot of time together and, um, The night before we went to my parents' house and he just hung out in the backyard and with my family. And, um, I'm sorry for the vegans that are listening to this, if there's any vegan friends, but I'm vegan and I let my dad cook sunny, like a steak (laughs) served it to him on a plate. And, uh, yeah, his last, sorry. You've got me crying now. So, (laughs) um, his last 10 days of his life were like, he had no idea. And I think, um, that was like, to me, the hardest thing that I had to kind of process was waking up every morning, looking at him and just knowing what was going to happen, but he didn't know. And I think that helped me that provided me with some peace as well, because he didn't know he just went about living his life like he did before. And, uh, the day he passed away, we actually were able to do the, the procedure in my car because it was hard to bring him into the office. And uh, as sad as this is, this kind of a, in, encapsulates um, who Sunny was as a dog, as a spirit, as an individual. Um, so before the appointment, and I know this, this might be hard to like listen to for some people, but I learned uh, listening to a podcast or a YouTube video recently that has nothing to do with dogs, but we are so removed from the process of death um, in this world. Like we hide death. Like a lot of people end up dying maybe from disease or things in hospitals alone. And we're so scared of it, yet it's an inevitable part of life. Unfortunately, Sonny's life wasn't like just a calm passing. It was, he was still relatively like a healthy dog. You know, I had to also deal with the guilt of like, he, he was, maybe he was healthy, but his mind wasn't healthy. And, um, so the euthanasia process was, you know, he was obviously, um, sedated through some medication and then some more medication and he fought it. Like the, the, the vets came out and said, this is the most I've ever put in a dog to get some to a point where they were, they were like safely, like pretty much knocked out before they could put the last drug in him that would stop his heart. 
And like, he fought it so hard. And like, it was like, it was hard to watch that happen. And I know this sounds like probably traumatic and people are probably like, why am I listening to this? But it was also like a really beautiful thing to experience. It's like that contrast of like, this is so hard yet beautiful at the same time. And like, I held his paw and I I got to like be there with him on his last breath. And um, when he finally went, that was the moment like I could actually hug him without any fear that he was going to hurt me. And uh, it was really hard. And like Ricky was there and my sister was there. And uh, I felt like, like I had nothing else to live for now. Because for the last three years, my whole life was about about Sunny. But a year later, I came to the conclusion that the day that Sunny gained his wings, I also gained mine. Because I had been living such a constricted life for three years, I wasn't able to go anywhere. I couldn't do the things that I really love to do because I always had to come home for Sunny. And I, I would have given up like another 10 years of my life just, just to, to have him still around. But I couldn't because there was always risk that the next, the next moment would have been more severe. And I, there was no doubt in my mind that if I ever was on a walk with Sunny and I slipped and fell and dropped the leash, he would have attacked another person. And it's just not something you can, it's that, that level of risk that unfortunately, like he was a risk to society. And I hate that he was a risk to society, especially because he was a pit bull. But I think he found me for a reason, because if I would have left him at that shelter, they would have euthanized him within weeks because he was not adoptable. And he never would have, you know, driven up the West Coast in this van and got to experience the ocean for the first time. And traveled across Canada and like got to experience so many things that most people don't even get to experience. So Sonny, I feel like he lived more in the three years of his life than most people do in a hundred years of their lives. And, and that's where like, he taught me a lot about life and um, sorry if I like just kind of went off there, but that was like, that was a, that was the whole kind of like the end, um, the end of his life here. But to be quite honest, I think that Sonny's soul and his spirit became so intertwined with mine that like he's helped me learn how to live again and like truly live and like find purpose in 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 living every day and um to take his life and kind of use it as a a a message because I feel like I have to do that in order to honor him um because he lived like he was such a big spirit and had such a big presence in the world that now like sharing his story and and having this opportunity to talk on this podcast and cry on this podcast and share his story is something that like I almost feel like I, I I need to do for him because there's just so many things I learned through that experience that I think other people could really value and and get from it as well I have another question. And I think one question you've already answered a little bit, um, because I know like if, if there's one topic that's divisive in the dog world, it's behavioral euthanasia. And like you said, there is, um, there are those people who believe that all dogs can and somehow should be saved. And they'll be going like, you should have given the dog to me and I would have known what to do. Yeah. So when it comes to rehoming, I think I already know your answer. Like, have you considered rehoming? And I think between the lines, I kind of heard you say like, 
Um, no, because I couldn't live with the risk that what happened to me would happen to someone else. And that's the decision that I uh, made, but cor correct me um, if, if I'm wrong. And then um, the other thing was like, did you get a lot of, um, you know, like back backseat drivers commenting on your decision and how did you handle that? And And then maybe after that, we go into a little bit into the process of what happened after um, the euthanasia. And maybe also that's kind of where we bring in yeah. this other being named puppy, <laughs> but, but maybe first that first part. Um, yeah. So in the topic of rehoming, uh, after he bit me and I called my friend, we both kind of were like, there's really no, op there's no sanctuary. There's no place for dogs really to go um, that have like these problems because like who wants to adopt the dog knowingly that they're a bite risk there's a very special small percentage of people like me and like people that have reactive dogs like I didn't know what I was signing up for to be honest four years ago if they would have told me this dog was going to to bite and like all this I probably wouldn't have taken him home I like to think that I would have but like you know the the part of me that like doesn't want that risk. Like, no, everybody wants the, the beautiful, fluffy, happy rescue dog that, you know, just loves everything. Rehoming wasn't an option because for two reasons, number one, who else was capable of understanding Sonny at the level that I did that would be able to provide him with the life that I tried to give him. And number two, was it fair to Sonny? Was it fair to rehome him after being with me for three years um, into a space that was, would that cause, would that actually escalate his, his, his situation? Would that make it worse? Would that make it harder for him? Um, and it's, it's hard to like, it's really hard to say that euthanasia was a better option. Um, because that's life or death. Like he literally passed away, met, left this world because I decided that the other options wasn't an option. And that's something where I've just had to just, that was something I did. And to, to tune to, um, to move into the question of uh, if I got any like negative feedback, I'm actually very, very fortunate that I maybe received one negative comment on Instagram from someone who really doesn't matter. Um, but all of the people in my life, they were probably just as like, not as to the same level, but devastated when I did make the announcement. I am over, I, I love sharing as we kind of like talked about before the podcast was recorded. I am my superpower or gift, I guess I offer the world is my ability to be vulnerable and share struggles and challenges online and with people. And I've always been a very open person. And throughout the process of having Sonny, I shared pictures of him like every day. I talked about our journey, like our story. And like 97% of the people that met Sonny online had never met him in person because he just, they just couldn't meet him in person. You were lucky if you got to go for a walk with us because you had a dog or like, I could trust you around him. But when I told everybody, like he passed away, like people would message me and said they were just bawling their eyes out and crying. And like, they were there for me. Like I, if I didn't have that, like, I don't think I'd be confidently being able to share this story on the podcast today because I was just so lucky to have support from people that loved me. And that's what I learned through grief. This was my biggest loss like I've ever experienced in my life. I just turned 29 and to some people it's quote unquote, just a dog, but he was my everything for three years, like my constant, he was like my kid. 
everything in my life was devoted to him. So when he left, a huge part of me left. And um, he wasn't just the dog. He was sunny. He was this beautiful being that was like the second part of me. And I had to understand like through the grieving process, how important support is from people around you and how my friends and family They've let me talk about Sunny and cry about Sunny like to this day. And they don't, they don't rush the grief process. They've never judged me. They've always been super open and really like excited for me to share stories and, and open up to them. My sweater that I'm wearing right now, it's a yellow sweater because that was our color. Yellow is like Sunny's thing. It's a sweater my best friend had made for me with Sunny's picture and his name. And uh, she, my friend Alyssa, she was my rock, like my family, my sister, Aaliyah. Um, they were all there for me and I've, I just don't know where I would have been today if it wasn't for all of them. Um, and they, they like loved learning about Sonny. They loved his story and they were all part of it. And that's the beautiful thing about it is like Sonny was my dog, but like throughout the process, I couldn't have done it without the community of people that helped me, that believed in me, that supported me, that were like, I can't believe like you're doing this. You're so strong. Like Sunny is so lucky to have you and the, the rescue community and the trainers that I met on Instagram and other people and uh, the Toby project. Mm, um, so, yeah. K- Toby and Kayla were like huge, super inspiration to me. Um, without a lot of those people, like I, I think I would have been really sitting a lot more in grief and guilt and remorse because part of this grief that I experienced was massive guilt because I was the one that made the decision that Sunny was going to leave this world. I was the one that caused my own pain and suffering through grief because I made that decision. And so dealing with grief and guilt at the same time was really hard. And like, that's where, that's where this group called losing Lulu. I really want to, to pay some honor to this group. Um, because that I don't, like my support system was essential to my healing process, but losing Lulu was the space that I felt a hundred percent understood. So losing Lulu is a group on Facebook that is for people that have, have experienced behavioral euthanasia for their animals, whether it's a dog, a cat, uh, a rat, a horse, most of the time it's a dog because they're more likely to suffer, um, you know, abuse and mistreatment in the world that causes them to be aggressive, or perhaps some of them were genetic problems, but these people in the group experienced very similarly to what I had. They had a reactive and challenging or aggressive dog that caused their worlds to get smaller and smaller by the days went on. They had to manage the dog's behavior. They had to learn so much. They spent thousands of dollars on trainers and education and medication. And ultimately, we all came to the same conclusion that we had to choose behavioral euthanasia for this animal and this this individual that we loved with all of our hearts that we would have dedicated years more of our life to, I would have never left my apartment if it like, if I could have kept sunny here, but ultimately you have to look at yourself and your life and recognize like you deserve a life as well. And finding that group. And I found that group prior to sunny passing away. So reading people's stories comforted me in a weird, sad, like way because I was reading these people's stories of sadness and grief and like distraught and and like sorrow knowing that I was going to experience the same thing but I didn't I felt I didn't feel alone at one one moment of the process their stories helped me sharing my story helped them and also just knowing like I wasn't this horrible person that I depicted in my head because I had to choose behavioral euthanasia for this animal that I loved so much that I wasn't this horrible person because I failed at saving them that I failed at 
training the aggression out of them and teaching them that the world's actually like this beautiful place and you don't have to be scared of anybody anymore. No one's going to hurt you. And the group was like that comforting hug that I needed from these people that I never even had met in my entire life. And, uh, I I'm still in the group today. I offer support when I can, but I find I, I it's hard sometimes to go back in there because I'm a little bit more further along in my healing process. And sometimes it brings up some pain and trauma that like, I don't try to hide it. I do embrace when I do feel that grief, but sometimes it's like, you seek it out sometimes when you're in the group trying to support other people. Um, but what I learned, and I think was one of the most important things I learned from that group was this one bottom line quote that really made me come to peace and acceptance of the decision of the timing of when I decided on behavioral euthanasia for Sunny, because there were times when I looked down at my scar on my arm and I think it really wasn't that bad, Megan, like, could you have gone a couple more years, but the quote and what someone said, it was that it was better a moment too soon than a moment too late. And there are some people in that group that were attacked by their dogs so severely that they required like 70 stitches or skin graft on their arm, or they were bit in the face or another animal was killed or a person was hurt that they didn't know. And like I had mentioned previously, I wanted to offer Sonny the dignity of leaving this world, having not hurt anybody else, having everybody loved him. And like, he didn't have any, there was no remorse or like resentment towards him because I, I loved him so much that whatever would happen, I would always forgive him, but that's not the same with someone else that didn't know him and his story. So that quote and that, that sentiment made me really understand the, like the capacity and significance of behavioral euthanasia. And it, it, I have been able to share our story online and just like this. And I, I hope to write a book about Sunny one day and, and maybe speak in front of audiences and that's where I realized, realized like unapologetically, I, I chose behavioral euthanasia out of c- complete compassion towards Sunny. It was a selfless decision, I believe. And I can say that because I knew that it was going to hurt me probably more than him, because I do believe he's somewhere else right now across Rainbow Bridge, living the life he didn't get to live today. And um, uh, I feel him every day with me and he's not gone. And I just, uh, I knew it was the right decision. Um, and a year later I can say the same thing and I'm, I'm, it's hard. I cried. I, it's still sad. It's, it's not something I'm ever going to like be able to live without, but, um, I'm in a good place now to be able to talk about it and share my experience and hopefully educate other people to be more understanding and more compassionate and understand the complexity of, you know, dogs and the fact that, I don't know Sonny's story before me, but I have a hunch that he was either mistreated, he was bred badly because he was a pit bull that caused him to have this melting pot of problems before I found him. And if I would have found him as a puppy, maybe those switches never would have turned on. Then the nature in him never would have like flipped a switch because the nurture would have been so strong. But because I found him when he was already an adult, that trauma was something we couldn't overcome together. And we just had to accept that you know, I gave him the life, the best life possible that I could. And I truly believe he probably lived much better than a lot of people, even people do in this, in the world. So just uh, because now I'm almost crying. (laughs) Um, So what do you believe is, was the most painful thought for you? Was it this guilt of not being able to save him? Um, 
partially, but I think it was just having him not be here anymore. And because um, he like, but despite all of the challenges and the time spent on him and all, all of the, the hardship, he was in my life for a purpose, I think, because it was a really big transitional period of my life. I went through a breakup of like a long nine and a half year relationship with Ricky. Uh, fortunately, as I mentioned, we have a great friendship still. Um, I was living by myself and trying to just make ends meet, um, trying to figure out life and like who I was as a person after this. And you know, then COVID happened as well. So that changed things. And Sunny was my constant every day. I could just, even though things were hard, he was always there. And all of a sudden when he was gone, like as much as I had my friends and family and a person I was uh, with at the time, I was alone. And like, if you have an animal, especially by yourself, or you connect so deeply with an animal when they're not around, like part of you is gone. And I think that was the hardest part is just the absence of his presence. Um, and I guess that's maybe where we can kind of walk, like kind of walk into talking about uh, a little bit about puppy, um, because he kind of miraculously came into my life again at the perfect time. Yeah. Cause, um, people, the people who follow Megan on Facebook know puppy and they followed along and they, I think, Maybe me, maybe others. I don't know if it was me who commented personally, but I know like 20 others commented when Puppy walked onto your porch, like, this is meant to be, this is Sunny sending a message. You are definitely keeping Puppy. <laughs> and um, I, I think I think almost everyone commented like that. It's like everybody yeah. first saw it. Like there's no other outcome for this. Um, but puppy, uh, uh, people, Puppy is not a puppy. No. <laughs> so puppy is actually a cat and he's currently in the other room because I knew that if I allowed him to be out around me right now while I was recording, he would either interrupt me or knock some stuff off my desk. So sorry, puppy, but I am going to talk about him. So puppy's a cat and he was a stray just like Sunny. And I think it's kind of like a theme in my life. Uh, puppy will be the third animal that I picked up as a stray. The first one, her name is Minnie and she was a cat. That's my mom's cat now. And, uh, yeah, so I want to say like uh, maybe three to, I don't exactly remember the exact date that puppy showed up, but I live in Windsor and we have an issue in Windsor with stray cats. It's very common to be in a neighborhood and you just see a stray cat. Um, we have a lot of ferals. So people have feral colonies where they take care of cats in the alley or behind their house. And they're just never cats that can, you know, live peacefully in a house environment because they've been outside for so long. So they live outside, unfortunately, but cats are a lot more uh, able to do a lot of things than dogs. Um, so yeah, we have a lot of cats that live outside. Um, and so all of a sudden we had one, it's so kind of ironic. So there's this stray cat named Sonny that lives in this alley and he's lived here before I even came around. And there's this beautiful woman named Loretta and she's an older lady that takes care of the stray cats in the alley. And she lives just down the street and she always walks down and just so happens that behind my house is where that the, the cats kind of hang out. And so Sunny had been around for a long time. And all of a sudden, when my Sunny passed away, these four stray cats just showed up behind my house. They knew where the food was. They knew this big dog wasn't here anymore. So they came around and puppy was the one that really stood out. So Loretta is actually the one who named him puppy. He's a really cute black and white kitty. And ironically, the same colors as Sunny. Sunny was mostly black with white patches and puppy is mostly white with black patches. 
And uh, so Loretta was like, oh my goodness, now I have all these new cats I have to feed. And one of the things is if you're feeding cats here, you it's like almost like a moral responsibility to trap them, have them spayed or neutered to prevent any more kittens in the area. Um, and then you release them if they're feral because they don't have proper socialization. So over time, I started to gain trust with puppy. Um, the other cats really didn't want anything to do with me. They were very fearful, but puppy was the friendly one. And that's where he got his name. Loretta would walk down the alley to come back to the spot where she would feed the cats and puppy would follow her like a little puppy and he would play and be goofy. And she would, he would like go up to her and play kind of strange, but come close. And all of a sudden I was just really attracted to him and I wanted to gain his trust and I didn't want an animal. I was like, I don't want an animal. I don't think I'll get an animal, especially I was a dog person. I've always been a big dog person. I love all animals, but dogs always have my heart. And this cat just decides to walk in unapologetically and just steal my heart completely. And the timing of it is that I a hundred percent believe he was sent to me from Sunny in some way because he knew like I couldn't do it alone. And being someone that loves animals, but also didn't want to get an animal too soon because I just felt like oh, I can't, I can't just go out and get another animal after my, I, my dog just passed away. Like I almost felt like I would feel like I was betraying him. So of course, Sonny sent an animal into my life that I had like no way of escaping. So puppy, like he would come up on my deck and like slowly would start coming to my door and I would feed him treats. And then I would leave the door open and he would come into my house. Then he would run away because he's, he's funny and would get all skittish slowly over time. Like he let me pet him. And then finally it was in May of last year, I was able to trap him along with a female cat and uh, got them spayed and neutered and her two kittens. So she ended up having kittens. And so I socialized them in this office right now. I had two kittens and puppy in here for about five weeks. And slowly I would just, you know, I'd come in and socialize them, the kittens. I'd wrap them in little burritos, a blanket burritos because they just wanted to attack me. Um, and puppy was like scared of me, but like very curious. And slowly he came around and one day he just let me pet him. He dropped on the floor and started purring. And I knew that moment that he claimed me. I was his person. I just started crying as, you know, I'm a big crier. I was like, okay, I guess I'm going to keep this cat. And um, when I told everybody on Facebook, I was kind of teasing the idea. Like, I was like, ah, uh, like, should I keep him? Like, cause I didn't really want to like, I was really afraid of having another animal. Like it was a very traumatic experience with Sunny. And although cats are very different, I don't know I was ready for the commitment yet. And, uh, but eventually I was like, no, he's, he's hundred percent here to stay. And, uh, that cat is so special. Like everybody that has met him has just said he is different. He's not a cat. And that's where he really lives up to his name puppy. He like, he comes when you call him, he plays fetch. He's just like, he's constantly by my side. He reminds me in so many ways of Sonny, his personality, his goofiness, his just like little antics. And I, I do believe, like I mentioned prior to the recording, that he is the Sonny that Sonny didn't get to be because the world was just not fair to Sonny. And Puppy gets to kind of experience the, that life in a different way. He's a cat. He's obviously different than Sonny. Um, but there's just too many similarities and like just coincidences per se that they just line up where I'm like, yep, yeah, th there's something about this where, and I think that's the irony where Sonny sent me a cat because he knew like I needed cat energy 
or I just needed something different because like I would have got a dog. I love dogs, um, but I don't think I'll be able to get a dog of my own for a very long time. And so I just think it was funny that he sent me a cat, especially because he hated cats. He would try to chase them or lunge at them too. And so it's just like, it was really special and puppy. I do believe like, uh, if I would, didn't have him, my healing process definitely would have been a bit harder because all of a sudden I went from living in a house personally by myself with a dog to not having a dog, not having that extra energy of an animal in the house, that protector, that, you know, that comforting, like an animal that you take care of when you've been taking care of someone or something for so long and they're gone, you like, you don't know what to do. It's like, I'm a, like a very giving and caring person. And all of a sudden I didn't have someone to take care of anymore. And, you know, puppy came along and now he's like the light of my life. And like, he is the most special cat and everybody loves him. And it's kind of crazy because it's like Sonny's legacy lives on because I still get to share Sonny's story, which is intertwined with puppy's story. And I have shared so much about Sonny's life. Like if I look on my phone, I have an album of Sonny and I probably have 2000 photos of him in three years of having him. And puppy is now kind of taken in those, like I say, he's following in Sonny's paw prints because I share him on social media. There's people on social media that love him, that have never met him before, that just like adore him, just like they did with Sonny. And uh, it's just like a really special relationship I have with this cat and like, I just never would have imagined I ended up, I would end up with like this amazing cat. I should let him out so you can meet him, but. <laughs> yeah. So he can meow in, into the microphone yeah. and people yeah. can hear him or something, or he can walk over the, the keyboard. I will get, I'm going to go open the door. All right. All right. We got him here. <laughs> All right. People of course cannot see because no. it's a podcast, but, but there's can... the most adorable black and white cat or white and black cat. I should probably say. Yeah. on Megan's lap right now. I think I have one more question about yeah. the grief processing before I guess time-wise, because we're definitely yeah, not sticking sure. to the one hour <laughs> for this recording um, before I have to let you go. Because um, I think you said like you had to get used obviously to this completely changed life um, after Sunny passed away. And I'm just wondering how you felt about that. Because on the one hand you said, okay, before I, I had... Um, sunny to always be there and now I was alone but I'm thinking at the same time when you had sunny in a sense you were also alone because you could never have people over so you you couldn't go anywhere people couldn't really come and so you you were alone in a very different way and then when sunny passed away of course now this whole world opens up in a sense as well that you can go out again and socialize and not have to worry about going back home. Was that something enjoyable or was that something that was making you feel double guilty or like what was going on there? That's actually like a really, really good question because yeah, I, now that you say it, like um, my life got so small because of Sunny. Like I, I mean, with COVID, essentially, I couldn't travel anyway, but like, I really couldn't go a lot of places for very long. Um, the only person that could ever watch Sunny, and it was mostly just for like one overnight was my sister. Um, and I didn't really want to subject her for staying with him for longer than a night just because of safety reasons. So yeah, like I was a lot like alone uh, per se when I had him and I didn't go out and do as many things as I could have. And I, I did, but I would always kind of feel guilty that I was out doing things when Sonny was home or he was home for nine hours or 
eight hours or something. I'd always have to go home for Sunny. So yeah, when he passed away, all of a sudden I didn't, I didn't have that. Like I have to get home for Sunny. Like I, I have to go. Like I didn't have any restrictions essentially from being able to experience things. And, but the guilt, which is just such a funny thing because I would feel guilty when I had Sunny about going out and doing things. And then when I ha- didn't have Sunny anymore, I felt guilty about being happy about doing things that I couldn't do when I had Sunny. The human brain and emotions is such a contrasting thing I find because you just like, why was I guilty now about doing things that I didn't get to do before? But I was really enjoying, but at the same time, like I was like trying to hold myself back from enjoying them because I was like, but the only reason I'm enjoying this stuff right now is because Sonny's not alive. And at the back of my head, I would think that. And slowly I just had to tell myself that I just, again, had to be very accepting of the whole experience and situation and timeline of when Sonny came in and out of my life. And I just had to really realize that like, I deserve to live a very big life And different parts of my life are just different chapters. And sadly, this chapter did end quite traumatically and very sadly, but I'm a very glass half full, like rose colored glasses, optimistic person. And there's always a, like a life lesson or a silver lining for the most part. I know not everything in the world is sunshine and rainbows. And there's not like always a lesson in certain things. And we shouldn't force ourselves to see a lesson in grief or something, but in particular in this story and, and the way that Sunny came in my life, that's, I have to see it that way because it's great. Like when I think about it, it's a, it's a crazy story. I find this dog as a stray on lo- in Los Angeles while traveling a van across America, which people already think is crazy. I pick him up, put him in my van. He becomes my dog travels across, you know, the West coast in Canada. I bring him home And he just takes me on this journey of like self-discovery and, you know, strength. Like I wouldn't be as strong as I am today if it wasn't for Sunny. And, uh, I owe him like a lot and I don't, I don't really know where I would be if it wasn't for him, because I've always been like a very, like necessarily a confident person, like outgoing, enthusiastic, kind of a go-getter. But I think Sunny taught me how to like really live life because of the way he lived and the fact that his life was cut a bit short because of the circumstances and um, just how to be strong and and in the face of adversity. And like, he overcame so much um, and like that there's nothing like really that I can't do because he was a shining example of that. And I think that's why I want to continue to share his story. Um, And I'm also that person that kind of tries to find meaning in things too. And I think a lot of people do um, because like, why not? Like uh, this, there's significance and why, when he came into my life, when puppy came into my life, why he did, there's a reason for it. I believe it wasn't just a coincidence. I really don't think I just happened to be driving down that street that day. And the dog walked by, I think I was placed there for a reason because if I didn't find Sonny that day, what would have been his story? If I didn't, didn't pick him up and bring him home and into my life would have been more tragic? Would it, would have his life ended differently? Would there have been the same compassionate, you know, dedicated person that picked him up and decided they were going to keep him? Would they have dropped him off at the shelter and left him there where he was, you know, going to be red listed because of his aggression? Um, he was a risk to be adopted. I was just that stubborn person that wanted this dog. Um, there's a reason why he came into my life and, uh, I'm super grateful for, for him. And I think I'll live the rest of my life, like 
in his honor. <laughs> I don't know if that that's like whew, the most beautiful thing to end on. Probably, I guess I owe it maybe to other people to ask you if there is something that you would want to tell others that are going through the same thing to make it, yeah, to make it better, more bearable for them. Absolutely. I think um, the big reason why I allow myself to be so open about this experience is because I'm not the only person experiencing it. And I think it, in time, the way society is, unfortunately, there are probably going to be a lot more people that experience things like this, unless our culture changes in the way that we, oh, one second, puppy. He's just going to make a lot of noise. <laughs> um, that uh, the way if our culture doesn't sh shift in the way that we treat animals, or especially with dogs, um, you know, the overbreeding, the the amount of animals in shelters, the purchasing dogs instead of adopting them. Um, if if things don't change, unfortunately, there could be more people that have to be in a position of choosing behavioral euthanasia for an animal that they deeply love. And I think I want to do two things. I want to educate people so that we can stop that from happening so that we can stop, you know, abuse of animals and the potential for an animal to be a candidate for behavioral euthanasia, like Sunny was. And then second is that I want to be a voice so that if someone is experiencing something like that, they don't have to do it alone. They don't have to search on Google, like, and, and come up with like thousands of different responses of what you should or shouldn't do. Fortunately, the group on Facebook is a huge resource. Um, it's a very emotional and energy, uh, energetic space. That's is sad, but it's a sad support group. That really is a beautiful space to be. Um, but for anybody that is experiencing it or has this question, um, I just want to be that person that like, I'm very open to someone reaching out to me and asking about my experience or sharing like what I learned or just being someone that says, Hey, like, I know how you feel. You're not a horrible person. Like, don't think that way. Let yourself be for a while because you're obviously going to feel that way, but you're really not. There's a huge group of people that support you. It's like, um, it's a really sad thing to say that like, we have to be in this similar shared space of grief Like it's a sad thing as an empathetic person to know other people are struggling and to be happy that other people are experiencing it with you because to know you're not alone. But at the same time, it is comforting to know you're not alone and that other people are experiencing it. So that's why I think I owe it to like myself and Sunny to share our story, because I just think, as I mentioned, I have a gift of being able to be vulnerable. I love speaking like we've talked for how long I love to use my voice and share in my writing and my, you know, uh, ability to share publicly. Um, and just the way that I learned, like the experience of Sunny and what it, what it taught me. Um, and just like the world just needs like more support. The world needs more compassion and kindness and respect towards one another. And if we can be there for people when they need it and, and not be judgmental and not, um, make assumptions and have dialogue and have conversations, then we'll, we live, we'll live in a better world. So I want to offer that and be that energy. Um, I live by the quote and the motto, be the change you wish to see in the world. It was the first tattoo I, I got. It's on my wrist. It's a daily reminder of like um, my mission in the world. And if I want to see changes in the world, then I have to be part of that change. So I guess this is, this is the like, chapter of my story is being able to offer that to other people. 
Awesome. Thank you. I, I just realized that I didn't once more, I, I have a tendency of doing that, not warn people that I always ask uh, them to comment on three words at the end of each episode. And we're already running a bit long, <laughs> but I still, I, I think I still want to do it because I've asked everybody on every episode. So I'm going to ask you as well. And, and like, maybe you can summarize, or if you don't want to summarize, that's fine too. The three words are always, um, uh, expectation, frustration, and celebration. And this, of course, in relation to life with, and I guess maybe even though it sounds harsh uh, for you now, life without yeah. your dog. Um, so like what, what those words kind of mean to me, what they trigger. Yeah. Yeah. Like ugh, those are actually great words. So expectation, frustration, and celebration were the words. Yes. Um, so yeah, I think in terms of like sunny and it's relatable to life as well. Um, I expected to have this, like, you know, this dog that was so thankful for being picked up on the street and like rescued. And like, you know, we have all these high expectations of how things are going to turn out in this fantasy. And then a lot of times our expectations are not reality. And you kind of have to come to acceptance that like, if you don't come to acceptance of your, like of your false expect expectations, I guess, then you live in kind of like, you don't really deal with things. And then, so like frustration, because I had high expectations, I guess, and high hopes for him, I became so frustrated that things weren't working out or like, why did I end up with, why, why did I end up with this challenging dog? Like I was so frustrated that I didn't know how to do this and that I didn't have the tools because I expected so much more from it. And then through that frustration, I think it was an opportunity to really deal with what I was frustrated with and learn that the frustration allowed me to learn and take a step back and reflect on why I was being frustrated. And I guess in terms of the word celebration, uh, in being a year out from when Sunny passed away, I guess I could celebrate two things, celebrate that I had the courage to take on the challenge of Sunny and that I can celebrate like that my commitment and my honor and my dedication to him in those challenging times. And now that he's not here, celebrate him and really see him for who he was, despite the frustrations, despite the challenges, and just to like honor, like the existence that he did have in the life that he did for the time being that he did. And like, if we did celebrate a little bit more things in life, even the small things, I think we would, the frustrations wouldn't be as um, catastrophic or as big because everything could be a lesson in disguise. Um, if we took the opportunity to take a step back and realized how they were actually helping us rather than hurting us. Um, where can people find you if they want to get in touch with you? Yeah. So I'm on, um, kind of all over the place. I have uh, Instagram, uh, Megan Marie. Um, and then I'm also, I do have a website called carrythesun.ca. It's not really built out yet, but it's kind of a random mismatch of things like my writing here and there. Um, Instagram is generally the best way um, to just reach me and follow me. I share a lot of my stories of like Sunny and just my life and all my different projects. Um, so I'm sure you could add that to the like show notes or something. Um, but yeah, I'm always open to a conversation. I, I have lots of social media friends um, that I've become really close with and have never met in person before. I really, really love that we can connect like this from across the world, which is so yeah. beautiful and share stories. Um, 
son, the puppy's like grabbing my, my necklace. Um, yeah. So I would love if anybody's listening and you felt, you know, moved by this, or you have a question or you want to reach out, please, please send me a message. I'd be happy to chat with you. Sure. I'm going to link all of that up in the show notes and, um, like with the episode, um, with Annie Phoenix, I'm going to link to the losing Lulu Facebook group. And there are actually quite a couple of other resources, um, that have been put together that I will also link in the show notes. Um, Megan, there's only one thing left to say, and that is thank you deeply. Even I'm like a bit emotional (laughs) about it, like for, for wanting to share this story. Thank you so much. Um, I really appreciate the opportunity to do so and to have this conversation. Um, uh, I'm just really grateful that people can learn about Sonny and, and like learn that, you know, even though he was a hard dog, he was an amazing individual and I want to continue to honor his story by sharing it. And this was a great opportunity for me to actually give voice to it because I haven't really had that chance yet. And hopefully this will be able to, you know, maybe catalyze opportunities for me to continue to, to spread the message um, throughout the world and offer support to other people um, and just continue to educate and be the change that I wish to see in the world. Thank you. Thanks. You can find a link to the website with the show notes through either Instagram at the Russ Cattle Dog or through our Facebook group with the same name as the podcast, Rough Around the Edges. If you would like to come on the show and share your story with us, then you can also contact me through either of these channels. And last but not least, if you like listening to this podcast, then maybe consider leaving us a review on iTunes, Spotify, or any of the other platforms that you may be listening to this podcast on because they help us get found in the listings, allowing us to reach more people and help them feel less alone.